This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Was playing around here with the microphone. Now I'm moving it back and forth. It's dancing. I'm having a dance with it. Folks, welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us. Ramya Muthan, that's the other one, the us that make up the us of the program, my co host, and today at our home studio. A couple times I've said you were at AMI when you were at home or the other way around. Yeah. I don't have to listen. It was just not. You know, attention. well, and you know what? I could say it at the beginning of a segment. By the end of it, your mind's long past that mistake. You know, like uh, wherever the heck. Oh, I better remind him that I'm I'm actually here uh, with us doing the show from me in London, Rummy in Toronto. This stuff happens, and usually I I've never done it to that point when you've had to go in and you're at the office. It probably because. It hasn't been as regular as it has been of late as we return to a little more enormity with going into the office and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. wow. Uh, of course, ladies and gentlemen, thoughts are with folks as we, for the second time in a week, are talking about very, very tough weather and people uh, in crisis and, and evacuations as a, uh, at the last I heard on almost Category 5 hurricane moves towards Florida, to the Gulf. Um, please, folks batten down and be safe and the, the best of luck because that's scary times when you're talking that uh we'll try to settle you in and take your mind off of things like that if you are in that position ladies and gentlemen let's see what's coming up today on kelly and company on in the know margaret weldon will be with us shortly and she's going to be sharing tips for travel readiness and takes us through picking the right backpack for the journey Lots to say about backpacks there. The University of Manitoba has announced their latest writer-in-residence, and Jim Crisco has the details on that. We'll hear from Grant Hardy a couple of times today on the program. Soon he'll be with us. But later on in Hour 2, let's flip through some quirky stories from around the globe on what in the world as he joins us in Hour 2 of Kelly and Company. So... Here's something very interesting that that is going on. The Canadian Armed Forces is sounding the alarm as it deals with a severe shortage of new recruits that fill thousands of vacant positions among the ranks. The shortfall is so bad that the senior officer responsible for managing military recruitment and training is describing it as a crisis. Brigadier General Krista Brody says the military is getting only about half the number of applicants that it needs to meet its goal of adding 5,900 service members to the ranks this year. Officials say they're trying to better understand the problem and working on potential solutions, including financial incentives, ways to improve work-life balance, and improving public perceptions of the military. Rob Westgate... The Canadian press. So we hear about jobs around Rumya that the, the people are having a hard time finding people to take these jobs, people who want certain jobs. But so much has gone on through the pandemic. And I don't know if it's a, a, a refocusing just that people are doing as to what they want to do with their lives, where they want to go, what income, what, you know, in the way of income, how much or where they see themselves. It's kind of like for me, when you're a teenager deciding, well, when I grow up, this is what I want to do. But there's a lot of people who have had to take that stop, forced upon them because of the pandemic. 
look around and start seeing things online that I've always wanted to mess with that. Or that Mm -hmm. would be a real thing to have under my cap, too, as a skill. Hmm. And I... I don't know if this is the kind of effect that they feel is happening, if it's people more aware of their uh, immortality and saying, hey, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, This is something, though, we hope that interest grows back as we see it in so many areas, hoping that people take an interest to take this job, that job, uh, and, and to continue so we can fill a lot of these spots. Yeah, we know how important it is that these jobs get filled. We're seeing it in all areas. Um, But at the same time, as you're pointing out, Kels, there are lots of ways that people have shifted and changed um, based on circumstances, finances, just realizations of sorts. And people are saying uh, and feeling and going through these uh, changes because they have other reasons to switch other reasons to not do what they were doing for years for decades potentially for generations um and sometimes it's like that's the simple things as you're saying hey i always wanted to try something out or hey the money's not coming in here i gotta move on uh or you know let's shift this is a good time to shift um but you know there's there are repercussions to everything as the world changes through all these little micro ways there's a lot of Job on the job training, people are offered by companies. Hey, look, take this on. We'll support you if you want to improve upon your skill or or elevate yourself maybe to a different position here at the company. Internal growth. And we see that through things like LinkedIn. And I wonder if during that pandemic, if that's what people were really doing, utilizing. I'd love to see the stats on that kind of thing because um, I think there, that's where we saw some of this change run. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's talk about pumpkins, folks. Pumpkin farms in the U.S. are adapting uh, to improved soil, con- uh, excuse me, to improved uh, soil uh, emissions, uh, or sorry, conditions and uh, dealing with lower emissions. Everybody's getting into the Environmental Act, and you just got to change. Bill Saws grows pumpkins for Libby's in Illinois. He's been farming for 47 years. If you can't change then you won't be around very long. Rochelle Malin with Nestle says farmers are adopting regenerative techniques. Bill from implementing reduced tillage practices has saved 119 tons of soil in 2021. Um, that's equivalent to like seven dump trucks. Saws is also attracting natural pollinators like bees and butterflies. The bees help transfer the pollen from the male to the female and increases the pumpkin production. Saz says his pumpkin yields were lower than past years, but he still made a good profit. I'm Ed Donahue. So we were talking about this during our book talk yesterday with Greg David uh, with uh, as we examined Restigouche. You know, it's wonderful when you think about a river being able to, uh, needing to be able to be replenished, the fact that it can do a lot of things as long as we don't keep adding to it. And the same thing here is you figure out how to make the soil better, how to give back to it when with, with us utilizing it so much other than just saying, well, take a year or two off so that soil has a chance to, to rejuvenate. Um, you know, they're learning so many things, and I love the involvement in the, in the pollinators too, Rum, because all of this is so important if we want to keep living and doing the things we do and calling upon the land, the world itself, and the resources mm-hmm. like we do, we've got to give back. Yeah, and connect directly with the land, as you're saying. It's so important that we're finally, sadly, you know, feels like forever, uh, realizing that the the lands where these 
things come from, these resources that we used for our own purposes, um, they need care as well. And they need to be taken into consideration um, first and foremost before anything else. Yeah, I, I, it's so important. And I love that when we had the discussion with Greg, because I remember them talking in the book at one point about planting trees. Yes, we're going to take all these full-size trees out of here, make lumber. So we better plant something in return that uh, may take time, but, uh, you know, just those little movements and instead of just take, take, take. We're going to pause for a couple of moments, folks. We're going to welcome in reporter Grant Hardy. He's here today with some health headlines for us. Stick around. It's Kelly and Company with Rummy and Kelly. Just getting your Wednesday started. When you have time, subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast, if you would, please. A great place to listen to the show at your leisure. You can listen to the show in segment form in case there's a contributor that you really enjoy and you're like, oh, my goodness, I don't want to miss their segment, but I'm not around for the live show. Well, check it out via the podcast. You can also listen to the show in its complete form. That's the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of Kelly and Company. Thanks for being with us today on the program. Well, Rum, uh, he had, I, I don't want to say an audition week. He worked with Jeff Ryman to get his feet wet in the pond. Then last week, he was flying solo. And now, this week is his first week doing health. Yep, tick that off. Life. Oh, no, no lifestyle. We're, we're not on the air Friday. Uh, but today just to make sure he's really immersed in what he's supposed to be doing here, Grant Hardy, our reporter, will do what in the world. Now that is yeah. on his own, that real graduation. challenge. Mm-hmm. He is zooming to the top of the class and out with graduation. So let's welcome him in. Grant, uh, how's things, feelings? How's your week going? Hey, folks. Uh, yeah, you just can't get rid of me now, but... Um... Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you're liking what I'm contributing so far. I'm and, doing okay. How about things at your end? Well, we're good. Uh, hopefully, you're <laughs> having fun I, 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 with this all this stuff, and we're putting you to work enough and keeping you busy. Uh, it's it's been way too much fun. Oh, good. Looking all right. forward to having more. All right, can we hop into some fun and let's do some health headlines? All right, we're gonna get a little bit heavier than usual today hopefully that's okay we're going to start with a piece from the conversation canada that basically argues that workplace bullying uh should be treated as a public health issue this is by jason walker associate professor of department of psychology the university canada west no one should have to be subjected to violence or harassment in the workplace but workplace harassment is surprisingly wet widespread in canada and in 2018, StatsCan found that 19% of women and 13% of men experienced harassment in their workplaces. Now, bullying goes uh, way beyond just being not civil. Uh, we're talking about uh, intentional interpersonal mistreatment that involves offensive, hostile, and assaulting conduct directed at someone for a minimum period of six months uh, we know there have been multiple high-profile incidents of uh, bullying 
and workplace harassment in the media. Oftentimes it just gets uh, swept under the rug. And like other health issues, the impact of workplace bullying has measurable diagnostic implications and uh, adverse physical and psychological symptoms, uh, including mental health, sleep issues. It's also been linked to cardiovascular disease and uh, just a variety of other things. Um, I, I really find it very interesting that in a capitalist, uh, you know, sort of culture that our mental health is not valued nearly as highly as our physical health. But in fact, not only does it impact our physical health as well, it actually impacts productivity on the job, according to this article as well. Um, just curious if you guys had any uh, thoughts about uh, what society should be doing to address this widespread issue? Well, the first thing is the specifics of what workplace harassment is, right? And when you're looking at um, the the way that this article describes it, they're talking about, what did they say? Um, yeah, it's, Offensive, it's, it's, hostile, and insulting conduct, right? Would, For a minimum period of six months. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would certainly say that workplace bullying... I mean, if you think that like 19% of people have experienced that like level one fifth of, of people. aggression, one in five people, that's a, that's a yeah. huge amount, but I, but I would agree. And sorry, I cut you off, but I think what you were maybe going to say is there, the standard that I would consider bullying is quite a lower standard. And in fact, sure. a lot of people who are people of color, my, you know, minority groups, people with disabilities often talk about like these microaggressions too, which are really hard mm -hmm. to kind of write up in like a, you know. And that's I what I was actually going to point out that, yeah. that sometimes we, you know, oftentimes you're not even sure if what you're looking at is workplace bullying, workplace harassment, because you're, it's not something that you can say, okay, here are the rules. This is what workplace harassment looks like. People pay attention. You well, know, every and then, case then, is different. Like you are a different person than Grant is or I am in what yes. we consider, what we feel and that stress we get from. And again, I understand that some people might say, well, we have the six months of it to kind of give you that this is a, rep a repetitive thing going on. Well, I don't think you need six months if someone's bullied for, you know, an hour or in some no. way that's a problem. But it's again goes back to interpretation interpretation may be but i think another side of it too that we may want to touch on is how many people do anything about it you know do well, you go and to that's your the HR? witnesses exactly well, right? yourself or the people who see or tend to wonder even if this is workplace harassment or not and you know you were talking about hr grant um and do do people really stand up for themselves or do we just put up with it yeah, yeah, that's the tricky one. And especially if you are in one of those minority groups, you know, I, I would imagine, I can't really speak to this, but I would imagine, you know, for for women, um, the situation is probably a lot more precarious because people are very good at doing, you know, maybe subtle bullying mm -hmm. or even like sexual harassment. But if you speak up, you know, it can be sort of like, come on now you know i'm i was yeah. just joking around don't be so you know don't Minimizing. take life so seriously kind of thing i i also wonder it for for men in the sense of what we think we're supposed to be able to take and put up with 
Um, and this goes even back into school, right? Teasing and even by staff or a coach, maybe we've heard a lot of that kind of thing. And it, it carries on into workplaces where, oh, I'm, you know, the guy, you're supposed to be able to take my teasing. I'm just like you said, Grant, oh, I'm just joking around. But so much of that men feel, oh, yeah, I guess maybe I better just suck that up. Or, you know, is he really she really meaning that? Yeah, I think that's true to an extent, and maybe for everybody too. But in in, in terms of a this certain standard of conduct that maybe people have a different standard. Like some people, I'm someone who who really believes in being not necessarily sugary sweet, but I believe in being polite unless you're really given a, a reason mm-hmm. not to be, and that can cause some problems for me too because it's harder to sort of deal with conflict. But I think some people don't believe in being diplomatic. Some believe believe you can say what pretty much whatever you want. As well, some people not. hide behind the fact they're being honest. They say, oh, I'm being honest and I'm being straight with you. But, yeah. you, you know, straight doesn't mean you have to be mean, nasty, unpleasant, bullying. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, unfortunately, this article doesn't really propose... Uh, what we should actually do about this issue. But I, mm-hmm. I definitely think uh, giving it some serious thought and perhaps um, integrating some sort of like more of those team building activities, but from a more anti-bullying standpoint might actually lead to more productivity at, at work as well, which would fit within our capitalist culture here. Well, is it enough to say... I mean, companies can have what they consider their workplace policies when it comes to mannerism speaking. And and I know most of us being brought up treat people the way you'd like to be treated. But then some people will make that claim, as I just said a moment ago. Oh, well, I'm just very straight up. I'm a little blunt the way I'd like people to be to me. And and again, we stop and say, yeah, but that's not acceptable for you to treat me that way. I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. And I think those conversations have to happen, but it's so hard for people but to feel... But it's conflict. Exactly. And a lot of people, people want avoid. no part of. No yeah. part of it. Yeah. yeah it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Um, well, we'll keep working on that issue then, hopefully. I don't know if you guys had any other thoughts on that. I think we're, uh, we can move to the second one. Yeah. This is another um, one to think about. So this is from the Times of uh, London. Are we being poisoned by basically indestructible chemicals that may cause us serious illnesses such as cancer, diabetes, raised cholesterol, and fertility problems? That's the claim recently made by researchers from Stockholm University in environmental science and technology who warned that rainwater in most places on Earth, contains dangerous levels of industrial substances that basically uh, don't break down. Uh, So, um, for example, uh, some of these are even chemicals that have been used in the past, like Cambridge Water in England, in London, admitted that uh, June last year, it has removed a supply containing four times the regu- regulatory limit of a chemical that was bl- uh, blended with its water supply, uh, and it was possibly used nearby to fight fire uh, years ago and just never really decomposed. But right. basically, these chemicals can be used in nonstick frying pans, 
um, a whole variety of other places, and they're basically concluding that no place on Earth can be declared chemical-free anymore. So I don't know what you guys think. Basically, my rule of thumb is, you know, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. If there's an <laughs> ama amazing chemical that you can just, like, have, which means that nothing is going to stick to your pan, it's like, wow, this is so brilliant. Why doesn't everybody do it? Maybe there's a harmful <laughs> downside related to human health. Yeah, as always, right? And and that's the thing. We keep moving um, you up and up and up in certain <laughs> ways. <laughs> Sorry, Rum, we, go ahead. <laughs> we keep moving up in uh, one way, but then we seem to like leave other problems on the table to deal with later. And later is most often than not pretty late uh in terms of how it affects our health how it affects our you know the fragility of our environment everything is yeah. all, you know and i don't know if we have the the knowledge yet in our world to take everything into account we do try with certain things sometimes we ignore it oh that's really not the greatest one. well ignore that just pretend we didn't notice that just <laughs> keep making them but there's that that also consideration that a lot of time we think we've done all the checking and ticked everything off and it looks safe but then as progress and technology goes, we find out more later that, oh, no, that was pretty bad. Um, you know, stuff like DDT and how great they thought oh. it was at first. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, uh-oh. Man, I, yeah, I don't know if you guys remember. I don't, I don't know if they're still fighting about this, but this chemical that you could spray directly, you could basically use this chemical and then it would allow you to spray like, insecticide directly on your crops it was it was something like that it was like crazy um and then uh, you basically had to use the company's seeds to to fertilize your crops and then i think these seeds were also like blowing into neighboring fields and the company was trying to like sue people from other places yes. that hadn't actually bought the seeds from them like it's just crazy i i think w one thing we're sort of dealing with is uh you know, looking after our environment. But even when we do that, I'm wondering if these issues from the past are going to start uh, coming back up and resurfacing years later. I, I think they do. And I, I it will continue. And things we do today will, will hit us in, in 40 years where we'll say, oh, why'd we do that? Or why were we allowing that? But again, it's such a, it's so hard because a lot of time we honestly just didn't know, didn't realize. And I, I'm not sure how much I mean, to do to know, we have to be smarter. We have to. Uh, I don't think we do it out of just total carelessness all the time. I think we do the checks. We think we have. Or we are capable today, but not in ten years or fifteen years. Grant, we're out of time. Thanks, man. Yeah, guys. Sorry for the heavier than usual health headlines. We'll talk to you in a bit. I liked it. Nice topics. Mm -hmm. We'll talk to Grant a little later on in the program. We'll step aside because uh, Margaret Weldon up next, folks, with in the know. You can listen to Kelly and Company right from your TV. 
Shaw Cable, you guys over there can listen to uh, us on 825, as well as a Shaw Direct Advance uh, 825 as well, where you can listen to AMI-audio and take in Kelly and Company at your leisure. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, hosts of the program. Well, every other Wednesday, we like to get in the know with Margaret Weldon. Life's continuing changes can lead to a lot of questions. Join me, Margaret Weldon, to get your answers, and then you too will be in the know. Margaret, I'm excited about today's In the Know conversation. It has to do with travel and packing. But before that, you got something that you wanted to tell us about. Yes, um, we're going to do a little time traveling for a moment here. Uh, The original City TV in Toronto turns 50 years of age today. Now, some of you may remember this channel. Uh, They used to have the voice on there. This is City TV, Channel 57, everywhere. And this was also the uh, channel that was uh, created and and managed by a gentleman named Moses Zneimer. Um, And he actually started encouraging people to uh, out on the streets, basically, to say what they wanted to say. Or, or, you know, he'd ask different questions or he had something called speaking, uh, speaking corner or speaker's corner, rather, where you would put a quarter or something in a box and then you could uh, say whatever you wanted. And uh, quite often those uh, responses were recorded and then played back. So we just want to uh, wish the uh, Toronto City TV a happy birthday today. Um, And just quickly grant you uh, your hard act to follow. Great topics in the last segment. Yeah, we had some great uh, health conversations and happy 50th anniversary. CTV. So, Margaret, today you wanted to talk about types of travel and how to prepare for them. Uh, we're going to get real specific in a bit, but what uh, do you mean by different types of travel? Okay, what I mean is every time you leave, leave your home, whether you're going to go shopping, to work, on a camping trip, you know, on a trip, uh, you know, maybe maybe to visit uh, some friends or, you know, maybe to another province or another country. Those are all different types of travel. And those kinds of each kind of travel there has its own unique set of needs. Hmm. So can you explain kind of what it can look and feel like? Okay. Now, if you're going to go to the grocery store, right, maybe you're going to take a couple of those uh, bags with you. You know, the ones uh, that you might get at the stores now, the cloth bags, or right. maybe you've got mm, your own type of... The yeah, reusable, that's right. yeah. That's right, the reusable ones. And maybe you've got like a cloth type of bag uh, or whatever to carry your groceries home, and that's one type. Now, maybe uh, you're going to work, or maybe you're going to school, and you're going to take things like books, a computer, whatever. And how are you going to cart them around? You're going to cart them around in either something on wheels or you're going to cart them around in a backpack. The same thing if you're going away to travel, you know, whether it's to visit family members or camping or whatever, you're going to have different types of uh, needs and you're going to have different types of packs to accommodate those needs because you're going to need clothing or food or money or whatever the case might be. So it just basically means uh, whatever type of traveling you're doing, you're going to require different items for. So why is it important, before we get into the different uh, parts, why is it important to know the different types of your, or sorry, different parts of your backpack are? Okay. 
Uh, it's important to know what each type of a backpack is, or sorry, which each part of a backpack is, because you need to understand how it works in order to pack it appropriately and maybe transport your items without causing any damage or even just to transfer them safely without hurting yourself, right? Because you have to carry that backpack. So mm. um, it's important to know what those are. Yeah, key to get that that one that's comfortable for you that suits the needs. So what what are the parts of a backpack? Okay. So the first backpack, the first part of a backpack actually are shoulder straps. And uh, these are straps that fit over your left and uh, right shoulder, and they allow you to transport the back uh, backpack quickly. Now, the second part is called a sternum strap. This is at the front of the backpack, or it goes actually just kind of above your, your breastbone. And it keeps the shoulder straps connected so that your backpack remains uh, well balanced. Um, the load lifter straps kind of keep the shoulder straps and the actual uh, top of the backpack itself attached, just basically so that you can carry the pack without it uh, coming apart. The back panel is the part of the backpack. Um, it's also can also be like the the bottom of the backpack, depending upon what uh, what kind of shape and and uh, you know type of backpacking you're needed. But it's also the one that's closest to your back, so it's got uh, the padding and uh, that makes it comfortable for your back to you know for you to carry the backpack. Now, one advantage to this is that it can cause some sweat to your back, right? So you want to make sure that that's got uh, safe, uh, you know, uh, mesh and venting uh, to prevent that kind of thing. The next part is the hip belt. And this is very important because if you're carrying, let's say, a 40-pound backpack, which, right. you know, if you're a camper, you want to take everything with you. Right. <laughs> um, the weight, most of the weight, at least 80% of that load, that that load's weight should be supported by your hips and not your shoulders because yeah. otherwise it can cause some com discomfort. And, and I'll tell you, you know, from carrying a lot of bags like that on my back for years running back and forth from London to Toronto, I never really gave that belt any credit. I didn't want something, oh, well, what if happens? I close it in the subway doors or whatever. I won't be able to get the darn thing off me as the train. You know, like you think all sorts of things like that. But I'll tell you, when I started to use it, Margaret, then I noticed the difference. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, I, and actually, it's funny. I, I remember seeing you with that backpack sometimes and all the big things you had in it. <laughs> um, and you know what? Sometimes bigger backpacks come with frames. Um, and, and these are metal-like bars, metal flat bars, if you like. And sometimes the frames are kind of in the crisscross shape, kind of in the middle of, of the pack, um, you know, and they help to kind of keep your, your uh, items, I guess, steady or secure. Uh, for bigger backpacks, you can get square-like frames, which are around the outside, and it's like the four bars are covered, but they're around the outside of the pack. Um, now, the frame sheet is something you would usually never see, but it basically protects the frame, and um, it's kind of behind the back panel. So those are, mm. those are your, your, your parts. Yeah. And, you know, these are quite detailed um, descriptions and understanding of what these different parts are and why we should be considering them when we're going through and picking. So speaking of picking, there are a variety of backpacks on the market. Yeah. It's not just Jansport. That's what I live by. But what should we consider when purchasing a backpack? 
Well, first of all, you've got to consider what you're using it for. Are you going to be using it for work? Are you going to be using it for school? Um, is it going to be used for a child? Are you going to use it for long trips? Is it going to be multi-purpose and and that type of thing? Um, and uh, and when you do that, um, it also means uh, what kind, what size? Now there are a few different types of backpacks. Number one, there's something called uh, a day pack. Now this comes in two. Uh, forms. Number one, there's an ultralight, very small type of day pack. And that's where you might keep small items. I don't know, like, like medication and things like that. And you might tuck it in another pack. Um, other, now there's a slightly bigger day pack, which goes uh, just on your shoulders. And this will have a very uh, light belt, if you like a, a hip belt, but no padding on that hip belt. Um, and you know, maybe you're going to carry little things in there, maybe like a cell phone, or maybe if, uh, if a child is, you know, going to kindergarten or other, maybe, maybe a lunch, that type of mm -hmm. thing. Right. Uh, a travel pack. And I'm pretty sure maybe this is what you use, Ramya, um, is a pack that can be used for multi-purposes, but a lot of people now like to use this as a carry on if they're going on an airplane mm -hmm. because people are afraid to check their bags anymore me you know I am. You, yeah that's right i don't blame you right so this way uh if if you if you can you'll pack what you need in that pack and you'll use it on the airplane um you know this is when wheels won't work or you can get the uh, extremely large packs and those would be for your long camping trips or your long sightseeing trips and carry all your creature comforts and that kind of thing and in those cases you might have the uh, 80 pound loads that we just uh, recently talked about wow Doctors must get so frustrated because, like you say, whether it's not wanting to take it on the plane or just wanting to squeeze as much in so the bag stays with you, uh, people are often carrying more than they are in shape for or should. So with that determination in hand that, okay, this is the backpack that I have the purpose that I need it for, this is going to be good, how do you choose that one It's good for your height and weight? Okay, two quick, very important points. First of all, all backpacks um, volumes are usually provided in either uh, liters and or cubic or square inches. Okay. And this is depending upon the designing of the backpack you get. But no matter what, when you're wearing a backpack, it should feel like an extension of your body. Um, so this means that you've got to look at different things. So let's look at shoulder straps again for a minute. Now, those shoulder straps should be, uh, they, they may not have very much padding to them, but they should be cut and curved to fit your shoulders. Um, then you're going to go down to the um, hip belt, which we just talked about. It's used for suspension. So you want to also make sure, you know, that that uh, the, the, the hip belt fits over your waist. But before even doing that, you want to measure your torso length. Now, in case you're not sure what your torso is, if you bend your head forward and you and you feel around your top of your spine to find the C7 vertebrae, it's the most boniest part of your spine. And you could slide your hand down either to the left or to the right of your back until you find the flat part of your hip. And that's your torso length. OK, keep in mind, this is not the same as your height. This is OK, because um, a, mm -hmm. a tall person can have a short torso. A small person can have a very long torso. Now, you may need a sighted family or friend, uh, friend to help you with this, but um, the best way to do this is to tip your is to get that torso measured properly. Because if not, you could hurt your back very badly. So if it doesn't fit your, tor if it doesn't fit your torso properly, uh, 
you'll you might need another backpack okay or you might need to adjust shoulder straps as well as hip belt um the you know the suspension should be comfortable and uh the whole thing should be comfortable so that's what you need to consider when you're when you're fitting a backpack okay this is uh, really really important stuff like how many people probably even know uh how to i mean most of us kind of put a backpack on um but it's never this kind of a deep thinking of what to how to check right especially for our own body types and then when adjusting form from uh our backpacks to others or other backpacks to us if we're borrowing um can you offer some really really quick tips on packing backpacks okay so if you're going to go camping you want to put things like your sleeping bags uh, clothing and items like that on the very bottom of the pack you want to put heavier items maybe like a um, I don't know, a, a bear canister that stores food or whatever in the middle of the pack and uh, make sure that it leans away from your back so that it's not so that the heaviest stuff is not pressing on your back. That's why right. you want the sleeping bag or clothes at the bottom. You want little things um, that you're going to need access to, like maybe snacks, medication, water bottles or whatever at the top of your pack. Now, if you're going to pack a pack like a carry on and uh, you you need to start thinking about what it is what you're going to do on your trip, lay out your items, and then think of things from, from toe to head. So pack your shoes in the carry-on first, maybe fold or uh, um, pack clothing into cubic cubic bags or storage bags. That way you get more in. You can take items like your grooming items or your underclothing, put them in bags, place them around the clothes and shoes, and then use the top pack for, you know, again, just things that you might uh, need access to very quickly. Now, I'm just going to cover a last question very, very quickly here. Things you should not pack in a day pack when you're using it for a sightseeing trip, credit cards, cash, ID. What happens is sometimes when you're taking those items out to use them, people can see what you're doing. They can take pictures, gaining unwanted access to your credit cards or your whatever. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you've got expenses that you did not put on them. Should this happen, contact your bank or credit card company as soon as possible, and they will tell you what to do next. Amazing. Margaret, we've covered so much valuable information. Thank you for bringing it to us on In the Know. It was great. Have a good show, guys. Bye. Thank you. Margaret Weldon joins us for In the Know every other week, bringing us brilliant stuff like this, packing our backpacks and choosing. back feels better now. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I really like that belt around the waist. It really helps support. So I will... will Definitely advocate for that. Coming up next, folks, the University of Manitoba has announced their uh, latest writer in residence. Jim Crisco, he's here in a moment to share more. When you want to reach out to the program, awesome ways to do it, folks. Well, you simply first, you can follow along with what's happening from segment to segment on the live show. Just simply do it off of Twitter. At AMI-audio is the handle. At AMI-audio on Twitter. You can follow along or interact with AMI-audio. If you want to send an email, maybe you've got questions about AMI-TV or AMI-Tele or AMI-audio, feedback at AMI.ca. The gang over there would love to answer any questions or concerns that you might have. Feedback at ami.ca. And if you want to call in, maybe leave us a message that we can play on the air with your permission 
and mention it's for Kelly and Company, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Well, we always have these certain days where we get to do different things and Sometimes we're talking to community reporters on Mondays and Tuesdays on the program and seeing what's going on in their regions. Wednesdays and Fridays, we get a chance to find out about some other things, different happenings going on as we do a regional content report. Today for that report, joining Ramya and I, Jim Crisco, AMI content development specialist in Edmonton is with us. James, how are you? I'm I'm very well, thank you. And, And I have to let you know, I'm actually in transit from Calgary to Edmonton. Uh, so this is coming to you from a car if it sounds a little odd. Uh, but the other thing is, too, I have pulled over on a nice, safe country road here Thank to you. be able to do this so I'm not driving. So we can't make him do foolish things like rev the engine to prove it. You can hear the car sound <laughs> as we analyze it. You know, the our, our special hearing, the super hearing. Oh, yeah. And he's, you know what, Rum? I, I can guarantee, I can tell by the sound, he's in the driver's seat. Yeah, I, I think I heard the signal maybe on and off. He's got controlled, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I, oh, you, you did hear that, actually, right? It's the four-way flashers. Acute ears. Just so no one else pulls off and tries to take his spot. See? Um, let's I have start. A, I have What's a beautiful that? view, by the way. Oh. I have a beautiful view. Oh. I, I'm, I'm on the prairies, and I'm seeing... Uh, Wheat fields that have now, now already been harvested for the most part, and hay fields as far as the eye can see. So it's beautiful out here. Oh, so you can see all the way into downtown Edmonton. <laughs> as <laughs> flat as the prairie is, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Speaking of different locations around the West out there, Jim, let's talk and start in Manitoba, where the UMM has uh, announced their latest writer in residence. Who's the new writer? The, uh, the new writer is, um, his name is Jacob Scher, and he is, uh, he's the newest writer in residence for the Center for Creative Writing and Oral Culture at the University of Manitoba. And uh, his position will be to work with students, faculty, staff, alumni, and members of the public from September to December of this year um, on uh, writing or using or having writing workshops, virtual writing workshops, etc. And what's really uh, interesting, he's a very talented writer. He's, um, he has, he's a uh, poet, essayist, and journalist. And he's the author, author of three full-length poetry collections, uh, including the Governor General's award-winning More to Keep Us Warm from 2007. And he writes uh, about radical subjectivity on chronic mental, uh, chronic mental and physical illness. So he, he is uh, from the disability community, and he, he writes very, very profound, um, you know, provocative uh, poems and, and, and uh, essays about uh, the disability community from the disability community. So uh, he's, it's a, he's a very interesting writer. And, uh, you know, the way I, I look at it, too, he's, he's running these workshops, and I'll tell you a couple of them and, and let you know where you can maybe find out more. But um, if you're a writer yourself, uh, you know, if you're in our audience and, and you're a writer and you want to be able to, uh, to sort of get a little bit of, of guidance, a little bit of uh, consultation, uh, you know, it's always great to, to sort of network with other writers as well. This might be the perfect opportunity for you. 
because um, he's going to be running these rooftops the next couple of months. You know, it's really fascinating, too, because you think of, obviously, you understand his lived experience, the, the experience that he brings as a, as a writer uh, from other people and tells their stories. But you also stop, Jim, and say, interesting timing, because we... we you know, we know there's a little more awareness, especially with the internet and and of, of disability and and telling our stories as well as many other cultures that, that out there where maybe that wasn't happening as much 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So we're thumbs up there, but there's interesting effects too from the pandemic that are allowing stories to be told by people who have lived experience, but also ex- lived experience that can lend itself to how people felt and what they went through through the pandemic. And this timing of selections like this, and, you know, you want to, and when I say this, please, I'm not trying to take away, oh, well, that's the reason that they made this choice. But I do believe there's a reason and a certain focus that whenever they make the choice every for every September, there's a reason to, for diversity, for different situations of time, and what they're hoping to accomplish and, and expose people to uh, when they, when they, bring on uh, these writers in residence. And and I think it's important, but I also think this person too has a, a lived experience that can lend itself to that mental support that so many people are looking for now. Absolutely. A hundred percent, Kelly. And the other thing too, when you look at it and further to what you're saying is people, you know, what seriously become writers at different stages of their life, mm-hmm. at different ages. Oh, there might, yes. might be people who've never considered it before. And now they have a reason to write, and this is an opportunity to try. Yeah. Yeah, I've met people in different writers' groups, and you stop, and and someone says, well, I've been working in a factory all my life with lots of things in my head. Now I have the time as I've retired to write them down and tell these stories. Really cool, Jim. Absolutely. And I'll just get one of the uh, workshops in here if people are interested. Uh, There's a – it's called Crip Poetics, and uh, it's a workshop on uh, – uh, on writing and on on poetry, etc. Uh, from Thursdays from October sixth to November seventeenth, they're only they only have twelve spots, so check it out in a hurry. Uh, it's the email is ccwoc at umanitoba.ca uh, to register or to just to get more information. So, um, uh, you know, there's there's that and there's some individual consultations too, but I'm sure you can get them uh, get same information from the same email if you need it. Amazing. Thank you, Jim. Uh, We're sticking to Manitoba. There's a new filmmaker that's starting to make waves in the film community. Can you tell us about him? Sure. This is, and you know, this very much kind of rides off our last story as well. Uh, The gentleman's name Mm -hmm. is Miles Taylor, uh, and he's a filmmaker. He's uh, he's um, graduated film school, I believe, a couple years ago. He's an actor. He's a writer, uh, and he he he's uh, a wheelchair user. He has cerebral palsy, and you know, he w- he was looking at at um, a lot of of entertainment and a lot of uh, you know stories that you see on television and scripted uh, stories, and realizing that he 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 really didn't believe that the disability community was being portrayed accurately, or um, you know that 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 usually there are parts written for them, but not necessarily by people from the disability community, and they're they're just not accurately portrayed. So he decided he wanted to to write a script that that has an accurate portrayal. Um, the, the the show is, or the script is called Life in the Wheel World, and uh, he, they're mm-hmm. shooting a pilot right now. And it, it's about uh, fraternal twins who struggle with disability, fame, and the weight of their father's legacy. So there's 
multi-layers to this story. Uh, and he just wants to accurately portray um, disability and, and, you know, come from a genuine space in creating that. And, uh, and he's a filmmaker, so he's, he's doing that. There is, uh, there is an Indiegogo uh, set up for it to uh, help contribute to, to defray some of the costs. But uh, really, really a, a talented guy. I've been communicating with him in, in email, and, uh, and certainly he's somebody I'm going to be meeting with uh, in the future. And uh, a super, super nice guy, very talented, and I can't wait to see what he comes out with. Sometimes that's all it really is about, right? We don't have to have millions of conversations to really understand the intention behind a project like this. And it's just like what you're saying that he said, it's the accurate portrayal of someone with a disability. Uh, There is the, obviously the conversations are getting bigger and bigger. You know, Jim, um, I'm just watching Breaking Bad. I know I'm super late to the game, but uh, thinking about uh, Walter Jr., the character who plays him and just having that question in the back of my mind always, you know, even before looking into the person who plays the character or anything, but just, thinking about it going does that person have a real disability is this an accurate representation was there something that they had to personify in order to get the content to the 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 script writing the whatever the way it is to portray that person with a disability or or can we easily sometime soon say when we see someone with a disability on tv in film that yes this is of course going to be accurate why would we question that um and these projects this intention of this filmmaker is exactly the kind of stuff we need to have to move forward with that absolutely 100 percent agree awesome jim and finally over to calgary where a young girl hasn't been able to attend school due to the lack of specialized support can you fill us in Yes, and, and I hate to, uh, hate to end on kind of a downer of a, uh, of a story, but uh, this, uh, this young girl with Down syndrome has been waiting to go to, to school. She would be attending grade one. Uh, they're three weeks into it. Now, this is about, the story I have is about a week old, and I haven't seen any updates on it, so this might have been resolved in this time, but three weeks in, and uh, she hasn't attended a day of class yet because the supports aren't, aren't in place for her to be there. Her mom's worried that um, there was a, a previous child with Down syndrome that um, was uh, would wander off once in a while. The school didn't have the proper procedures in place, she believed, to keep her safe and was worried about her daughter. And the, the sad part about this is, is it, it becomes almost a story of bureaucracy because the, uh, the, the parent goes to the school and tries to, you know, find out why the sports aren't there. The school sort of refers her to the school board. The school board says... Um, you know, we have a limited supply for resources. The, the province says, well, the school board's in charge of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, nothing's happening, right? right. Uh, and and there, there was a point where the, the parent um, came up with a, 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 an idea that they would pay out of their pocket for an assistant to be in class with her. Wow. And the school was kind of on board with it. But the school board came along and said, no, we can't do that because they're not a school board um, employee or whatever the, the reason was, but the rationale was they couldn't have somebody from outside the school in the class with her. So, uh, you know, the, it's you, you would hope this wouldn't be happening anymore. There is right. money in the system for every student, and um, and the, 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 the proper age should be there. But 
here we are, right? We're still having these conversations. Yeah, they're passing the buck, the no no responsibility, the let's worry about why you can't do something to help somebody and let them struggle and let people stress out and, you know. Jim, we're out of time. Pal, thanks a lot. Uh, interesting stories for sure today. We get a chance to visit with our content development specialists on Wednesdays and Fridays on the show. In the next hour of the program, President and CEO of Fighting Blindness Canada, Doug Earl, shares important acts, uh, information on access to Lexterna gene therapy and uh, that's here in Canada of course and we'll flip through some quirky stories from around the globe on what in the world but up next it's the Wednesday edition of The Buzz with Bill Shackleton Wow, that was a busy first hour of the program. Lots of content uh, headed our way. Um, so does that mean now you're going to shift any of your thinking when it comes to what kind of bag you carry on your back? I've always been a backpack person. I I think I'm too afraid of setting something down and walking away without it. I think mm-hmm. that's where it came from. Um, but I wouldn't even be able to tell you what I have. I've used an old computer bag for years when I got a, a laptop. I just use that and just jam it full of stuff. As a, it's a backpack, though, this computer bag? Yeah. Like, it's got the two shoulder shafts? Okay, okay. Yeah, I've had two yeah. of them. And then that, that thing goes around that Margaret spoke of around the waist, and you can adjust them. But I, I've i never... I've, it has three pockets? Yeah, three oh, okay. and then two side ones. So I always thought, oh, this is great. There's pockets. Uh, but it's limited, but I still made it work. Yeah, it's pretty good. Only my camping backpack has a waist strap on it. Everything else is pretty typical kind of day-to-day use but yeah i've upgraded a couple of my backpacks to be honest with you in the last two years i think the only time i, I don't retire know why. <laughs> yeah well that's because it wasn't you can't. going anywhere <laughs> no and, and 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 it's funny how you look for stuff like that i know i retire um the first one i got of these i retired only when i finally thank goodness i discovered one day when i picked them said hey well why does it feel like the bag's a bit more extended and the bottom was ripping out. I guess I shoved the laptop oh, too hard no. down there and it started to oh, and rip and I didn't realize. So uh, I would have that's... kept walking till my laptop left. <laughs> you ever do something like that, Bill? You're not a backpack person. Well, you have the over shoulder bag, don't you, Billy? No, no. I got both, but I just bought one about a month ago. And guess what? It's insulated. So you know what that means. Oh, that um, means for all your beer. Yeah, for my beer. Yeah. Um, it, Takes my it takes my iPhone is in it and it's got the two shoulders. It's great, um, holds a lot, and uh, sturdy enough. And yeah, it's 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 really good to be able to put your phone in there and use your Apple Watch and not having to touch the phone. Yes, yeah, I think that's one of the wonderful things about the Apple Watch. The other thing I've noticed too is. A lot of these bags have that thing inside them, the plastic for your spine, like, you know, for your back support, as Margaret was saying, to, to kind of help you with that that extra support. So it's not just some bag on your back and soft and that they got away from all that stuff. Now it really does have a form because it knows you're grabbing it. They know you're going to grab it up, throw it on your shoulder, and you don't want that. Uh-oh, what happened? Yeah, uh, I had I, I had an interesting one that had a, a thing for lunch, so it had like a bit of a platform with a raised head, so you could eat your sandwich. Oh man! So um, it was interesting. Amuthan, should I ask him why he's got the bag that is insulated? Yeah. Other than the why beer, like for real, me. for real, why did you actually buy that one? Was that it? 
Um, no, if you go to McCune's and buy your meat and you buy your frozen <laughs> stuff and it, it stays goodness. colder. Yeah. Uh, we, we just wanted to make sure the audience had the right. The two out of three came out beer and McCune's. Yeah. I thought, I thought, uh, what's the third, third one? Uh, when he goes, Fabrica would come up. Fabrica's leftovers when he goes there, no, because it's Mm. not there. Um, I I just wanted to be sure, Bill, that people just honestly didn't get this impression that this is for real, right? This guy's like, he keeps them in business, the beer store? Oh, no, the liquor store, too. Uh, Shaq, where are we starting? Well, we're going to do this one. Um, A very interesting one. LGBTQ friendly church, okay with getting kicked out of Southern Baptist boot. So apparently from Associated Press, the there's a church in um, that essentially has been kicked off the Southern Baptist rules, which essentially, as far as I can get, means that it's the church is no longer recognized um, because of its inclusion, its LGBTQ inclusion. So this church has taken a stand and they affirm homosexuality they affirm um you know same-sex marriage they affirm the lgbtq community it it does seem kind of it's it's interesting because you know when you look at the bible it's it the bible does say god loves everybody and yet you wonder why if if he does then why are people twisting, or unless I've got this wrong, twisting religion to fit their own ideologies? Um, it, it's just, you know, you, you know, when you look at this, it's very difficult for the church because they are very much traditionalists. And it, on the other hand, I think you have to, they have some of them have to realize that this is a 21st century, and you know, the LGBTQ community. You know, in the past, if you were there in the member, you stayed in the closet, you didn't come out. And now these churches have to realize, and this is not the only one, but they have to realize that they're here to stay. And why should they not be included? Um, I know a lot of churches open the door to everyone. Um, and, and that is whether it be race, whether it be from a disabled community, everything. Right, everyone is is welcomed. I understand that not everybody within any given church is going to feel so welcoming. That may go against what their readings in the Bible or of the Bible and other beliefs um, in Christianity that that make them feel not comfortable. Or yes, but that's a person with a problem, um, and maybe makes them feel less accepting. Or and again, going back to what you said, uh, all God's children. Um, I do, and, and and this is kind of one of the areas where I struggle too as a person who of color, um, and I think in, in places having a black church or having a, a church that caters and opens the door and tends to be for a certain community, um, you know, whether it be LGBTQ, whether it be black, I, I'm not, I think socially there are times we we settle in better. Um, we need sometimes a, a, an aspect, even with it, whether it be religion, whether it be schooling, um, where we get to touch on things that are maybe a little more germane to us. Understand? But I I, I just like inclusive. I I just always feel. But I want to be able to go anywhere, and I want people not to be surprised that I'm there or bothered um, or. And and again, I don't know if I'm being an idealistic individual and saying, yeah, but that's not always 
what's best for the communities in hand. Um, I, I don't know how you guys feel about that, and I, I struggle with that. I don't think any church should be kicked out of or ostracized um, unless there's other things going on that, that there shouldn't be. Well, if it's if there's sexual abuse going on, it, it, and and which you know we've heard a lot about that, but if you're just <clears throat> different or you just believe your belief is different, you believe in God like everybody else, and yeah, they, they, there should not be this sort of push against, um, you know, what you as long as you believe in God, you should be able to go and you should you should be able to worship like everybody else. And any abuse of any kind, any church or anywhere, I'm yeah. going to step out of mm-hmm. out of the, the. Is this unacceptable? As we were talking about the workplace earlier, Ramya. Yeah. Well, the isolation that you feel when you don't have a community you can share your spirituality with, um, and especially if you feel that you can identify with something and people and practice that's already out there that already exists, but you just aren't welcome. That is a lot of hardship, a lot of hardship on people. And um, we know this, we know in traditional practices, how um, homophobia was in, you know, if I may be as bold as, as to say, was part of Christian practice and Catholicism. And that is um, the way I see it, just not acceptable. It's not, it wasn't acceptable before. It's not acceptable now. Um, it's not acceptable when we're thinking of an inclusivity and acceptance of people and mental health and all kinds of things, community and isolation. So yeah, I, I think it's wonderful that this church specifically is being highlighted, Billy. And as you said, it's not the only one, um, but hope is that one day down the line, one day soon, people can go wherever they want, man, and not be questioned and not be segregated um, simply because of who they are. Well, as he pointed, as as the the the, um, the minister pointed out in in this church, we're glad to be kicked out because we we now can do what we want because we can do what we right. want now. We we don't have to follow. Be yourselves thing, you know? where you want to go. Yeah, and do that's what you right. Need to do, yeah, that's right. Number two, mm-hmm. as as Cantonese language wanes, efforts grow to preserve it. This is an interesting story about the, the Cantonese. Um, there is a, the, basically, the first and second generation Cantonese people are afraid that their culture is, that their language is dying out. So essentially what's happening is when people are coming over from China and Hong Kong, the main language that they speak over there is Mandarin. So when you, you know, there's, there's, there's millions of people that are coming over, they don't know Cantonese. And the problem is that there's, there's a growing divide between first and second generations who are afraid that you can't, you know, you can't communicate with your grandparents because you can't speak Cantonese. And what they're doing is these people are um, – there's very few schools and that, that are, you know, that are, you know, taking up this cause. Uh, and oftentimes parents are looking for ways that they can teach their kids Cantonese. So they're turning to social media and they are there, – there, there are groups that you, where you can get books and literature and, and movies and things like this because it's definitely 
uh, you know, dying out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I find this when we've had conversations about Indigenous languages, too, and the huge concern of certain ones that maybe only 20 people know within the country. Yeah, and, you know, you hear this stuff and it's scary. I know Cantonese isn't in that position, you know, yeah. But you, you do get concerned as people aren't interested, don't speak it. And how long before that interest comes back? And and that can be really tough and alarming. So I like to see them working on this or trying to encourage it now. And you don't know. I mean, these people are afraid that the next generation, that it's going to be completely dead. Yeah, um, no, it's hard. Yeah, for sure. There's an yeah. eight-year difference between me and my brother, and you. It, there's a drastic difference in how much Tamil, yeah, how much Tamil I can speak. And, you know, I consider myself fluent speaking, reading, writing, and uh, he just can barely hold up a conversation. Yeah. You know, there's it's too many really... other things, right? And, and there's, there's a lack of interest. And when you talk about speaking to the yeah. grandparents or whomever, that is scary. And you Bill? can tell because they're saying Mandarin is getting more popular and because of that, yeah. Cantonese is yeah. dropping off, which is very scary. Very interesting, yeah. too. I wonder what the what the what what causes that. It's always interesting. Bill, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, we'll talk about the Rocky Horror Show. Ooh, good. All right. People who enjoy that, we'll step aside yeah. for a moment, folks. We've got the next buzz tomorrow. Coming up next, the president and CEO of Fighting Blindness Canada, Doug Earl. Jeffy, you're supposed to turn that microphone on. Oh, no, no, no. I guess I am. <laughs> Sometimes I forget. All right, folks. Welcome back to the program. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts of the show. Want to remind you to check out the Kelly and Company podcast. Use your favorite uh, podcatcher to do so. And while you're in there, look around for other AMI-audio podcasts. Subscribe to all of them. There's lots of good stuff there you might be interested in checking out. But, of course, first up, foremost, just taking care of business, ladies and gentlemen, the Kelly and Company podcast available to you in its long form, regular, full form, whatever way you want to call it. Or you can listen to the show in segment form as well. But whichever way, you can catch up on what's going on in case you find a segment that is uh, to your liking but you miss part of it, go back. Check it out via the Kelly and Company podcast. As mentioned, I'm Kelly McDonald at the Home Studio in London, Ontario. Ramya Muthan at our home studio in Toronto. Yeah, I paid attention this time. That was correct. I'm at home. So Good, good, good. Make sure that yeah, microphone on. Yeah, okay, we're, we're good. We got it. We got it. We got it. Okay. Um, it's great to keep progress of some wonderful things going on in uh, science and when it comes to IRD specifically, it's Inherited Retinal Disease Awareness Month. So let's keep going with some of the things we're featuring. Canadians are one step closer to gaining access to the Luxtern gene therapy. And this is a gene therapy that treats variants of Leber's congenital amaurosis and retinitis pigmentosa. In more detail, people with the mutated RPE65 gene, but we won't get into those details with me. Uh, President and CEO of Fighting Blindness Canada, Doug Earl, joins us now to give us the scoop. Doug, how's it going? Fantastic. Good. I'm glad because there's a lot of great things you're going to tell us about. Um, First of all, remind us exactly what Luxterna is for people who are tuning in or hearing about this for the first time. Sure. So uh, Luxterna is a gene therapy. Uh, it's using a, uh, a virus that's not harmful because viruses, of course, are very topical these days. 
but it, but it's using a uh, not a harmful virus to deliver a properly functioning RPE65 gene to replace a malfunctioning RPE65 gene uh, in people that have their blindness, inherited blindness caused by this gene not working, not working properly. And, and it's, been, uh, uh, it's been actually approved in the United States for treatment for four years. And uh, around the world, uh, there has been hundreds of people treated. Uh, it's been able to restore their sight uh, in, in night vision in particular, and uh, it is preventing uh, further blindness uh, because the, the RPE65 gene starts working uh, and produces the protein that keeps your photoreceptors healthy. So, Doug, everybody always says, uh, you know, how long they've been working on this, and we know how tough it is getting support, getting people on board. There's so many things in our world that cause these distractions to any of us affected, like Ramya and myself, with this particular condition. Oh, oh, wow. And I remember for years people would say, is there anything they could do for you? No, no, no. You get to where you're, you almost become tuned out. You accept life and move on. But how long has this project itself been in the works? And four years, okay, that, that's a good start. Well, uh, if, if this gene and what role it played in uh, vision uh, was discovered about 25, 26 years ago. Uh, fast forward, uh, about uh, 12 years ago, uh, Fighting Blindness Canada and, and the first inherited retinal disease patient registry identified five Canadians to go to Philadelphia and receive the first inhuman treatment uh, for an RPE65 gene therapy. Uh, it was a safety trial and, and that we're very proud of our investment in the patient registry and that we're very proud of the five Canadians who went to Philadelphia to receive the treatment. Uh, and because they, that was one third of, of those folks and the, the results of that study uh, was published in the New England Journal of Medicine and it was used to convince the, uh, what became uh, Lexterna, uh, which is a, it's, it's a different uh, form of the gene therapy, but, it, but the evidence of this trial uh, was used by, by Lexterna to uh, receive approval by the uh, FDA organization in the United States and with Health Canada in October 2020 uh, to become an approved treatment in Canada. So it's, mm. so it took, it took time, persistence, in, in investment, uh, and pursuit of, of a research, a clinician researcher, Gene Bennett, uh, to make this happen. And, and it's benefiting hundreds of people around yeah. the world. Incredible. And, and it's still in the works, um, because as you mentioned, October 2020 is when Health Canada approved it. And that was a huge leap, and we were all clapping and applauding for that. Um, and now it's been two years since that big milestone and moment. So what's the latest with Luxterna now on, I don't know if you want to cover the, the federal, as well as maybe some of the key provincial um, status? Uh, absolutely. Well, I'm... I'm so happy I'm here to celebrate with uh, the community because uh, today the province of Quebec has approved Luxterna to be funded by their drug benefit program. Amazing. Wow. Oh, so, man. So, yeah. So this, this is a huge moment. And, and, and it's because of the community stepping up. Um, there's been countless families uh, that have shared their story. 
uh, on TV, in the newspapers, uh, rallying their friends and networks through uh, Fighting Blindness Canada's approved Lixterna.ca uh, website to send emails to their premier, to their health minister, to their local uh, provincial representative, MPPs in Ontario, MLAs elsewhere, MNAs in Quebec, and and it's it's resulted. Um, you know, we it, it's produced this result. People uh, tell me that are in the know that that we still would be in negotiation uh, that that the provincial governments and the provinces would still be negotiating if it wasn't for the community stepping up for and for uh, the work that that we've been able to do at Fighting Blindness Canada with the community. So that this is this is a major milestone that today, September 28th, we we have the first province. Now, now uh, we we've retooled approvelixterna.ca. So if you've sent an email before, send it again because it's changed, um, and it goes uh, to uh, the premier and health minister and your local provincial member member of uh, parliament to say the deal's done. We have a national letter of, of agreement. Uh, you've worked out. You got the best price possible, the best uh, arrangements possible. Now, now it's we just need you, Premier, to sign on to so that the people that are on the waiting list in your province can can get their uh, their sight, uh, their night vision uh, restored, and can stop further blindness. Uh, yeah. That that's that's the message. We've we've retooled the email, and we're asking the community this one last time, the one last step. Uh, to send the email in uh, because uh, because it now now it's just it could be weeks away uh, mm. uh, that people can get their treatment. Yeah, well, and when we talk something this powerful, this so cut and clear that it it's been proven, the time has been put in, the difference it's making. Please, folks, send those letters. Please, governments, uh, step up to the plate and just say, yeah, okay, we've got this. Um, do we want to step out, Doug, for just a moment and talk internationally? What's going on? What's the uptake of uh, of Luxterna out uh, around the world? Yeah, absolutely. So there there are over forty countries now that have approved Luxterna as a treatment. Yeah, uh, about. About 30 of them have a pathway to uh, receive uh, that, that people can access the treatment and be publicly funded. E even in the United States, uh, you know, through insurance, uh, it, it's been covering the most of the cases uh, for treatment. So, mm. so it, it, it's worldwide. Uh, a lot of governments have figured out how to do this. Um, you know, France, England, Croatia even uh, about 18 months ago, figured out how to publicly fund this treatment. Canada is, is slow. Uh, we've, been, we've been working very hard to get to this point where now we have the first province, uh, but, but it's been slow. And, and not only that, on the international stage, they're watching what's happening in Canada. You know, we're, we're actively working with ophthalmologists, researchers, Autometrists, we're working with them to bring clinical trials to Canada so people can get access to the new treatments that are that are happening. Uh, they're watching to see, you know, whether or not this their incredible investment that they're making uh, is will have a hope that in a country like Canada would be publicly funded. So that this is a major milestone uh, that now we have the first province and hopefully uh, the rest will follow uh, quickly. Um, because we're monitoring over over 80 trials uh, right now, uh, where 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 new treatments 
new innovative treatments. I, I call it, you know, science theory is becoming treatment reality now. Um, this is such an amazing moment and, and we need the early wins. We need the early uh, opportunities to show that, that not only is there people who, uh, because they're in our registry, um, you know, that, that there's interest, that this gene's important that, that you may have, but, but also that, that once you get through this very expensive process, uh, that, that someone can actually receive the treatment. And in the province of Quebec today, I can say that's happening. That is fantastic. And, you know, we talk so much about um, the the practical use and resource of technology on everyday levels, right? For people who have low vision or blindness, um, how is technology helping our everyday lives? But it's fantastic to get into what's going on with science um, behind our eyes and like the, the things that are going on. It, it, it just amazes me all the time because when I took part in my clinical trial over 10 years ago, it felt like an unspoken thing. People didn't know about what I was talking about. People are like, oh, is that treatment? No, it's just the very first stages of what could be potentially treatment. But now we're talking about approvals. We're talking about people looking, you know, other countries looking at Canada and the United States and saying, wow, you guys have a lot of research going on. So we know you're excited. We're very excited. Is there any uh, other, you talked about the 80 trials and things that are going on right now. Other highlights um, Luxerna specifically for RPE65 mutation, right? But are there other highlights you can quickly point out or it's yeah. too early to talk about it? No, no, I'm hey. happy to talk about it. Romeo, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in fact, you don't have a long enough show today for me to keep going. But uh, sure. just just to start, I mean, just talking around uh, some of our research that Finding Blindness Canada is funding thanks to our donors uh, we we have a treatment uh, molecule, a new medication um, that that is targeting age-related macular degeneration, diabetic-related vision loss. Um, we have we have products that are saving over over a hundred thousand Canadians' sight every day uh, uh, with their anti-VEGF eye injections. But but that's dealing with your blood vessels when when you develop these diseases. The the blood brain eye barrier weakens and this treatment is showing very promising results we're we're just funding the final tests that need to be done to persuade the fda and health canada to approve it for inhuman use to start a clinical trial uh, we're funding uh, a, re a stem cell research uh, that that you know it's it's just the, the excitement of this process we we had uh, three donors make a very significant gift. And we launched a two and a half million dollar uh, Restore Vision 2020. We, we uh, went through an international review. We found four projects. Um, one of them in the first stage of funding is now in clinical trials in, in the United States. We're trying to get it to Canada. Um, another, the second, uh, the other two, one didn't quite work. They've gone back to the drawing table. One didn't have enough data yet. It got infected by the COVID um, uh, try or delays in research. The, th the fourth one is one, the competition for stage two funding. And in the first stage in stem cells, we saw evidence that the, the stem cell was treated and, and it started connecting to the optic nerve. 
So it was it was connecting to to send signals to the brain Amazing. around the image and color. So so we're now we've made a second investment, and and just just where we are in this moment in time, this if if these ex experiments are are successful, the researcher has uh, entered into agreements with private funding to to access a hundred million dollars of private funding to get this treatment into clinical trials, to, mm -hmm. to stage three clinical trials. So there's some significant uh, investments being made by, by the pharmaceutical industry, by investors to bring these uh, treatments uh, to, to FOI. Um, you know, uh, Gene Bennett, I mentioned, who, just, who led the process uh, for Lixterna, developed Lixterna and, and made it, got it across the line. She, she's now starting a, another company, Opus Genetics. Uh, she's got two, two of her discoveries. She's partnered with Dr. Pierce from Harvard with one of his discoveries. And, and they've raised $60 million to start getting all the experiments done, getting FDA approval to start into clinical trial. Wow. So there, there is just, I, I, I can go on. There is so much exciting stuff going on. Not all of it works. Not all and of the thing works. is, too, not everything is at the the level of Luxterna right now. But because you're breaking down the progress and the process, um, it's so helpful to understand where things start and where we got to, how we got to support to make it go where it needs to go. Doug, we're out of time. Thank you so much for um, everything. Really appreciate the information. Please approve Okay. Email. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. President and CEO of Fighting Blindness Canada, Doug Earl, joining us with those Luxterna and other updates. And you can visit fightingblindness.ca uh, to follow other updates on Luxterna as well. Okay, we'll take a two-minute break, folks. And when we return, let's flip through some quirky stories from around the globe with Grant Hardy on What in the World. We'll get into that with him, like I say, in uh, about two minutes. What I love about having Doug on the program is the excitement, the pure guys. Look what's happening moments with yep. and, and and today filling us in on Quebec just amazing because there's been so many years for so many people where well you know I, that that doesn't affect me right now well but it could and yeah in years to come maybe there's such a and, and again I understand for a lot of people you got to move on with life you want to do your things but we think is this some kind of snap our fingers or some kind of futuristic thing that I won't be here for when it comes to the fruition. So I understand some of that, but you know what, folks? That time for things coming to fruition is happening. Like, you know, science fiction, if you want to think about it that way years ago, is now that science fact we hear about. There's so many things going on being tested, but when you actually see, and maybe it's not your eye condition, that this can help. But you see so many dedicated people, you hear about it, and that's got to be positive in some way for everyone. It always is. I think that there's a process to everything, and science can sometimes feel slow and feel tedious, and there's a lot of convincing of all kinds going on, whether it be money or support or uh, space or whatever it is, just moving on to the next step. Um, but we we see it. 
we see we're seeing it in our lifetime, which is mm-hmm. I think the most amazing part. And I think sometimes, as you said, it, it seems like it's moving painfully slow, but yet we still get those wow moments of really they can do that today. Wow, I didn't know that. And that's what's going on. And that is absolutely beautiful. Do check it out. Subscribe to the podcast if by chance you missed uh, Doug Earl's wonderful announcement today uh, regarding Lexterna. Uh, let's welcome Grant Hardy back to the program, reporter out in Vancouver for us. And Grant, today it's what in the world you've got for us? What in the world? We're going to change things here to a bit of a quirky note, go through some odd uh News headlines here. This is Grant's other personality, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, before he was on with very serious stuff. This is the alter (laughs) ego where he is coming in now. Good choice of words. And this is the laughing Grant to say, what in the world? Awesome. I don't know about you guys, but I find airports terrifying, and especially customs. I I remember... I. Uh, you know, I was asked what I was declaring when I was coming back from the U.S. And, and I very guiltily am like, well, I, I have a less than $10 bottle of wine that I bought in the States that I'm declaring. Yo, that wine! And they're kind of like, um, don't waste our time with this. Just go through. Well, <laughs> yeah. as we know, some people do try and smuggle things through the airport. But officials at German customs were stunned when an eight-inch snail they stumbled upon and believed to be a toy started moving. Oh snails my goodness. are not exactly yeah, yeah. Snails eight are, inches? are not exactly <laughs> Wow. They're not exactly the most subtle creatures in the world. So they were able to follow the fugitive's trail of slime until they found the source a <laughs> hole in a bag that had another snail peeking out plotting its Ugh. own great escape upon searching the luggage they discovered that not only were these two smuggled mollusks uh they were not alone they were joined by six bags full oh of a total gosh. of 93 gals quite the little uh Party. The snails wow. were also traveling with 62 pounds of fish and uh, smoked meat, as well as a briefcase full of <laughs> rotten meat. What? Uh, <laughs> um, believe it or not, this actually has a happy ending because the customs people, although they said they have never uh, followed a trail of slime ever in history, <laughs> they actually diverted the snails and sent them to a local animal rescue group. That is incredible. 96 of them following the trail of slime as it, you know, dripped along. Oh, my goodness. Mm. I find that uh, amazing when you think about And, of course, the question, why Why did the person, and this is the one thing, what in the world? Who knows why? That's why it's what in the world. The person would have even had all this. All the fish, too. Like, you would think they would just follow their nose, Rumya. Yeah, I'm just, I don't know what kind of smuggling this is. I really, uh, is it just because they're foreign? Like, what, why? What's the intention behind the, the smuggle of seafood Yeah, snails? that's a good question. I think it was for a kind of a specialty uh, food store, but it turns out these snails are actually very, uh, damaging in the wild and can kill other native snails and other native I was gonna species. Say, so 
Yeah, that's yeah. how it usually is, right? Like we talked about um, native and foreign species, uh, invasive species on gardening segments of the past. And same thing. Somebody brings in one thing and then boom. It's a bad oh. lifelong generational disaster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I you know, I feel like I wouldn't. Not only would I never smuggle anything through an airport, but I feel like even if I wouldn't be the most stealthy person in the world, I would probably realize, like, okay, this is not the best because it's leaving a trail of slime. Well, and can you imagine um, them on the case? <laughs> They'd be on the case. And, Look at that. Follow that along. Where's it going? And that, and eight inches, like, that'd almost be like a waterfall. If it went down the stairs, it's like, oh, my goodness, there's enough slime here. You'd slip and break your neck. Wow. Crazy stuff. Um. I kind of didn't know whether this one fit into what in the world in the beginning. It's not so much funny or anything. It's just odd to me. Um, UK broadcasters battle monarchy over control of Queen's memorial footage. So British television channels are in a battle with the monarchy over who controls the historic record of Queen Elizabeth II's uh commemoration after Buckingham Palace insisted broadcasters could only retain an hour of footage from all of the days that we've been commemorating her for future use. Uh, wow. They've been given until yeah. <laughs> they've been oh. given until Monday to produce a 60-minute compilation of clips they would like to keep from ceremonial events held across 10 days of mourning. The royal uh, uh, household has an opportunity to veto footage that they don't want kept, even if it's been shown to millions of viewers. Um, and uh, that is all that they're going to be able to keep. So, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever done interviews with people where they've said, you know, is it possible for us to get like a copy of the, you know, the mm -hmm. raw like segment? And mm -hmm. we kind of, you know, but never have I heard like, okay, you guys need to go back through all of your archives and you need to delete all your segments with me except for maybe an hour. And we'll let you pick, though, what is in that hour, but we will still give you a thumbs up or down on any of the clips that are in there. Um, I think this is where sometimes people get that attitude towards the royals and feel like how do, who else could do, the, the the president and the prime minister don't get to tell me look uh, you know that press conference i did the other way the other day i had some crumbs on my lip i don't want you guys to air that stuff anymore it never gets shown on your newscast that doesn't happen so i think this is no. one of those areas where how intrusive the word veto has never been used in such universal form until this moment and the thing is too it, it reminds me of um when we used to create documentaries similar to what you're saying grant but having to um what does stephen king call it like kill your darlings you know just, mm -hmm. just having to turn mm, yeah take it all down to that 30 minutes but this is what hours and hours and days and days of and material there's no, there's no reason in my opinion why would they ever whether Isn't there though no, because they're not going to. They, they're, no, no they're, they're obviously there doesn't have to be. And again, when when they when you argue the point with it, if you say, okay, what would be your reasons in making them do that? Obviously, it's going to be well, we don't want to lose control of where that footage goes later. Whether somebody mm -hmm. suddenly comes out with some whack, wacko documentary saying this, and they've organized the footage in such a way, mm -hmm. or there's some abuse of this and that that we didn't give credit to, you know, or permission for it to happen. But my view is, if you're using any of that footage that you've obtained permission for for a document, that permission should go down the way. The it, the permission. 
to use whatever was said to them, whatever said interview or footage, they gave by participating. And there wasn't a blackout put out there. Look, we don't want this part of the procession covered on TV or anything like that. So I just find that it just sends such an awful message in in that sense. And I I would love to see how they fight it, and they will. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I need to go back to this company and say, listen, I want to have a contract where if there's anything where I sort of misspeak or I'm not happy with it, um, you guys need to take that down. Uh, you don't have to worry about that <laughs> yeah. with AMI. They they don't want to spend the money on storage or stuff like that, so I wouldn't even worry. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> pick, Any of that stuff. My battle's different. They'll, they'll say, you're right, Grant. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, man. Uh, we got time for one more. You bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, U.S. health regulators actually had to warn the public about the dangers of a TikTok challenge that has teens cooking chicken with cold medication. The oh, so-called... come on. <laughs> the so-called sleepy... Yeah, it's a sleepy chicken trend and involves Stop. cooking chicken breast marinating cold medication. Uh, which contains acetaminophen as well as other uh, uh, over-the-counter substances. But boiling the medication can change the concentration and properties of the the ingredients, the FDA warns. So even if you don't eat the chicken, inhaling the medication's vapor while cooking it could cause high levels of the drugs to enter your body. Uh, And this is just one of the latest. I mean, we've talked about social media, voice assistance, the dangers of these, like, bizarre bizarre things that people are doing and falling for so hold up Um, real serious follow-up here people are cooking the chicken but not eating it like they said even if you don't eat it the the properties change and so inhaling the fumes but i'm assuming they're eating it anyway because that's why else are you calling it the sleepy chicken chicken's already asleep yeah, it, I think it's, it's anyway. It's gone for a long nap. <sighs> this is typical, very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Typical teen trend of sort of trying anything and everything we can. Honestly, I wish that we would just, um, I guess, maybe remove some of the shame about the stigma about opening up about like teenage issues and and just mm. give people a platform to like you know, go to their parents or, you know, instead of feeling like you're going to get in trouble, you know, have someone to go to other than your TikTok pals and be like, is this a good idea? And you would be told, as a matter of fact, this is not a good idea. Let's go to KFC instead. Yeah. And how these things become cool at all. Like I was, I'm still astonished when I think of the Tide Pod challenge and how people were ridiculously, but honestly, eating tied just what you know and then how these things become trends like not just one person trying it but it just becomes this informed thing that many people of an age group are doing and trying together filming themselves putting it back on their sharing and it happens all over again is wild to me it blows my mind when you think about do some people really think if they survive it, if they don't get sick from it, they're a better person, a stronger person because Grant, who did it, he got sick. Like it, it, you start wondering, what is what is the ultimate goal in your mind of achieving? I can uh, do the challenge. Is it doing it or surviving it? I I don't. I think it's just doing it. 
or just mm -hmm. having that on camera recording mm -hmm. where you're a like, okay, we'll never do this again. Yeah. But here's my, oh, how much can you do on TikTok? Is it like two minutes? Here's my two minutes of fame doing right. something that you have a record of me doing. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's it, like this duality of not only misinformation, but also harmful information and harmful right? actions. And yeah. you, uh, what used to be, don't try this at home, is now, look what I've done. Are you going to try it too? And do I want to yeah. pretend that this stuff, because I'm sitting here listening to you talking about it. And again, the difference in the 1950s and stuff when people would do play games of chicken with cars, um, you know, they just didn't film them. So right, no right. one knew you were out back on the old airport road, you know, gunning your car at somebody else's hot rod and just yeah. who's who's brave enough, how, who's going to turn away first and that wimp is, you know, or the old days of the shootouts, right? But that's a good question, Kels. That's a good perspective. Like in, in terms of, you know, if it wasn't for TikTok, does it mean that we wouldn't be doing these things? Like maybe, can you imagine Tide Pod Challenge becoming a thing even if we didn't have the social media uh, and access and there was the there was do. all sorts of things you would hear about mm. people doing, whether it was with Lysol or weird stuff like that in the seventies right. and eighties, lighting things ablaze or or whatever. Like what would you um, say? Hey, my neighbor stuff. told me about the this sleepy chicken thing. You want to try it? Is yeah. that what you would do instead? Yeah, yeah but that, you would. You would just go do it, and maybe you'd have friends around a room full. And at that time, my audience of six versus the audience of six thousand. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's a really good point that I started this whole thing kind of dumping on TikTok and social media. But you're you're right. Just thinking about different like, you know, TV programs and stuff that I've yeah. watched, like for sure back in like the 70s and stuff. And like this whole sort of celebrity sleaze culture as as well, you know, oh, you know gosh, TV yeah. culture. Pe people have, have definitely had a platform for this sort of stuff. So maybe it's just... The problem is just bringing it to a more mainstream, uh, not even mainstream, a more common audience Well, and it's here. interesting you said the reality, because that's almost like where you'd want to say the switch over, the, the changeover between that and now the means that all of us have to have our public platform, whether it's Twitter or, or anywhere you can make a video or just saying something that everybody's hanging on to my words. Grant, sorry, your, your time is up, so your TikTok uh, minutes stretched way out. <laughs> One of my personalities will be back with you next week. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate oh, it, pal. All right. Cheers. <laughs> Enjoy. Grant Hardy joining us. And today, of course, it was what in the world that he brought to us. We'll be back to take a look at what's coming up tomorrow on our show and now with Dave Brown. And we've got some information for you. Programming notes. Welcome back to the program, Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald. As we like to suggest to folks to go and check out the podcast, we remind you of some of the conversations we've had on the particular episode we're coming to the end of, such as this one. Okay, Ramya, segment that you want to shout out to. Yeah, lots of great segments. I think the one that I'm going to take away um, from from the physical, like, hmm, how can I utilize this information perspective is in the know with Margaret Weldon talking about backpacks 
travel readiness in the form of backpacks. And honestly, there was a lot of great detail that she went into for choosing a backpack, understanding the parts of your backpack, uh, getting to know your body in order to fit yourself with a pack that is helpful for you for the task that you need it for and the, you know, longevity and the time and how much you're going to carry, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm curious about my backpacks now. Took a load off my back. That's for sure. Nice. So, you know, I'm going to say uh, our chat with uh, Doug Earl really, really was an interesting one to me today as we talked about Lexterna, some of the great things going on. He gave us a scoop of, of course, Quebec uh, approving and folks in Quebec now being able to have their treatments paid for. And we talked about abroad, what what's kind of happening. But the thing that I really took away from myself and really encourage you to go back because he tells you folks how to advocate for this in your province, wherever you are, things to do and and where you can go for that support and help. But Rumi, I took away from it my comment that, yeah, so much of my life, there's been this, well, let's get along though. There's not going to be something in my lifetime to really help my eyes, give me anything. Then, you know, you start to go in and and be put on the... um, Uh, you know, on that patient list that, hey, man, these are people who have it, who are affected by it, and who best qualifies, like yourself, to go in for early stages, treatments, for trials, and so on. Yeah. And, and, And I think in the position that I've been in most of my life where, you know, I've kept up on things, I've listened, I've been involved in groups for eye conditions, but it's really was wonderful to sit back here, hear Doug say this, and actually feel that shift of instead of, no, nah, there's nothing they can do for my eyes. Oh, maybe. And when someone would say, yeah, but you're older, would you want something done at this point in life? Hell yeah. And that is really a, a wonderful thing. Really nice. And Doug makes you feel so empowered about it, folks, and positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thank him for coming on and take a listen to the segment. Oh, thank you. Paul Daniel, for coming on to tell us what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown. I'm working on my segues. Like I said, Paul, one out of four. I think you guys figure a week if I can do a good one. What's happening on the program tomorrow, sir? It was a joke, first of all. Most of your signals are very good. My goodness, we're sensitive on Kelly and company. Why Anyways, am I here? Tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> show. As you know, Kelly, Friday is a federal holiday. It's the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. So with that in mind, we'll be speaking to Michael Amelis from the Aboriginal People's Television Network, who tells us about the network's planned 35-hour programming to honor residential school survivors and their families. Stephen Scott from Double Tap TV will let us in on some of the new sleek devices unveiled at Amazon's Echo and Ring launch event today. And Karen McGee, our content development specialist in Central Canada, will tell us about an article regarding an Ottawa area MPP who spent two weeks on a social assistance diet to try to understand the real experience so many people on ODSP live every day. All right, here's a question. Sure. Who's on the networks more, Grant Hardy or Stephen Scott? <laughs> uh, awesome. I think, I, th- I think it's Stephen Scott. I think it's Stephen Scott. <laughs> For now. Trust me. For it's now. only, you know, Grant's, Grant's getting there. Thanks, Paul. Like Sounds like a great lineup. Care. Good luck to you guys tomorrow. Have a wonderful show. Uh, Paul Daniel telling us what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown, their program on at 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv. You can find it as a podcast as well. Simply subscribe like you can to ours using your favorite podcatcher. Awesome. Really nice. Nice way to round out the show. Good stuff on their show. And, Rum, good stuff coming up on our program tomorrow, too. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Talk to you, too. Sounds good. September 30th, 2022 marks the second National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. 
The day honors uh, the lost children and survivors of residential schools, their families, and communities. We learn more about this day and the progress that we've made since the inaugural day with Brenda Gunn, Academic and Research Director at the National Centre for Truth and Reconciliation. Michael Ferry is going to tackle some early problems and changes with the uh, latest version of iOS to keep in mind when you're updating your phones. Gardener Susan Kearney shares interesting facts on the flower industry's role around Thanksgiving. This Saturday, there'll be a formal ceremony to initiate the first Cadet Week in Ontario. We'll learn more about the special week tomorrow. Also, we have the Thursday Buzz with Bill Shackleton. And our guest for this week's roundtable conversation is John Melville, Vice President of Content and Development and Programming for AMI-TV and AMI-audio. We'll catch you tomorrow starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, ladies and gentlemen. Have yourself a wonderful night. I'm waving at you. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.